Hi everybody, it's Daniel. We're about to get started with episode 5 of season 2 of A Positive Jam on Charlemagne and Sweatpants. We have a special guest this week. But before we get started, I want to say a couple quick thank yous. First, to David P. for shooting us an email at mail at shortmanstudios.com, pointing out that running up that hill is really about swapping places, per an interview with Kate Bush. Thanks for making that point, David, and for all your support. Thank you as well to Chad Orzo for shouting out a positive jam in a tweet thread about the importance of silence in the Hold Steady songwriting. We had already recorded Banging Camp when you sent out that tweet, but I hope we did the silence in that track justice. Okay, let's get into this week's episode. Everyone, thanks once again for joining us for A Positive Jam, a podcast that if you've followed, been following us, know we take a deep dive into the whole city's discography, one song at a time, one day at a time, one song at a time. So today's episode, episode five of season two, which is uh, focuses on track number five, obviously, Charlemagne in Sweatpants. I'm joined, as always, by Dan Sparsman. Dan, say hi, so we all know your voice. Hi, everybody. And Mike Taylor, who normally joins us, is not going to be able to join us this week. But that's okay, because we, instead of having a suitable sub, we have someone who's probably going to outclass Mike in every (laughs) single respect. Uh, Mike, we're just kidding, we know that. It's Bob Land, who runs the Bend and Scoop podcast, which focuses on vinyl, the vinyl pressings and all the cool stuff for you vinyl heads out there. So we're very, very happy to have him on. So Bob, say hi, so so everyone can hear your voice there. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much, Sean and Daniel, for having me on. So today's episode, again, Charlemagne and Sweatpants, and it sounds like we have three disparate viewpoints on the song. One of us, not really all that up on us. One of us kind of kind of middle of the road there, fair to Midland on it. And another one, and I'm going to quote him here, just said that this is his favorite Hold Steady song in the entire THS Universe catalog. So... I since I'm sort of a I'm I'm, I'm sort of a not an, un, an uninterested party but a disinterested party on these two spectrums. I'm gonna let who do we want to go first? Who wants to tee off? Who wants to get us on the green first with their thoughts on this song? You want me to go, Bob? D- well, d- d- I don't talk wanna, us through. I don't want to steal everyone's thunder because I really do have a lot to discuss about the song. But I think, and we'll get into more detail later. But I think, just in a nutshell, what really brings this song home for me is that it really hits on so many personal touchstones, especially personal musical touchstones. Some of them, as we kind of go through the details, may seem like a bit of a stretch, but just the way in terms of how I process and and hear the song, uh, it definitely hits me that way. And I think just really the sound, I love every, literally everything about this song I love. I love the way it starts. I love the, the music and the groove throughout. It's got a very slinky, almost like a Rolling Stones-esque groove throughout mm-hmm. the entirety of the song. And I, and I also just think he nails the ending, absolute nails the ending. So there's not anything about this song I don't like. Cool, cool. Dan, I guess, so we, 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 we have one benchmark. Do you want to go take us to the opposite extreme? Uh, any sort of top level thoughts because i obviously have thoughts as well so so i've been trying to listen back and open my ears more to this one 
I know when I listened to this first 2005, this was an obvious skip track for me. It just never didn't go anywhere for me. It the, there's not much melody as I've expressed on previous episodes. I'm not, I enjoy the fact that we're in a world as you there. Craig is building a world. And so I appreciate that Charlemagne is a character, but I don't really character development in and of itself doesn't seem much to me or explaining who they are. And so it just didn't, it just, I don't know. It just, it wasn't. And I think Bob, we've chatted about this and you're on my side for this one. It's not as aggressively like against the ears as chill out tent where there's like my least favorite song in the entire old study catalog. <laughs> so it's not, there's not a, the, none of the grading aspect per se, but it just doesn't go anywhere. It reminds me a lot of the bonus tracks that we covered for almost killed me where they also didn't shift into quite a higher gear, but here it, it felt for a long time, like it didn't even get there. Listening back, I can see I had a couple other sort of musical touchstones instead of the Rolling Stones in mind that I think they're sort of towards. I'm not sure if they go hard enough there for me to buy it, but it sounds a little bit like a drone you might hear from the Stooges or, Mm -hmm. you know, the Velvet Undergrounds, Modern Lovers, that sort of chugging along one chord. But um, yeah, that's where I've struggled with it is that it's, it just doesn't, I don't know. I like melody and it's, it's, they're yeah, on melody. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what, for me, that's where I bump up. Yeah. This, this song and uh, this song is slimy to me. And I don't mean that in, in a pejorative way. I mean that this song functions rhetorically in the, you know, in the narrative as kind of like it's the Darth Vader theme music in Star Wars. We know someone nefarious and evil is coming on the scene from the opening notes. We know that Charlemagne is, that this this guy we're going to be introduced to, and again, we've heard his name mentioned in previous songs, so we're finally, you know, the, the camera is going to focus on him for a while, and we're going to see what it's like in his world. And that's sort of like the, the sort of like droning, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any song, any other song in the Hold Steady catalog sounds like this one. It sounds, there's a distinct sound there and I think that's purposeful. I think it sounds because because this is their this is someone bad's coming along. It's and menace. we're yeah, exact thank you very much. Exactly that's exactly what it is. I would there's a I menace. Would, I dispute only I, I think Milk Crate Mosh has a similar and it's interesting because that yeah. is a very Rolling Stonesy song. I feel like there's a little bit of that in the muck, but it's it's a little bit, yeah. I, I can. I don't know if that tarnishes your claim that this is unique. Definitely not. What I think Rolling Stones, what really sounds very Stonesy to me is Tad is doing some excellent Keith Richards cosplay throughout mm-hmm. the song. It's, <laughs> it's like he's barely in control. It's almost sloppy, but it's it's not so sloppy that it's unintentional. I mean, there, you can just it, he's in the gutter. I mean, this whole song, it's like. Sean said it's slimy it's it's very much you know we're out in the alley with this this is this right. is definitely that sound yeah and i i know that we're talking about musicals and dan when you started to say that you think that you know what this is referencing i maybe we're, we're on the same labeling is is it the law that any drug dealer in rock and roll world has to be named charlemagne because i'm thinking of kid charlemagne by steely dan which isn't about another 
Owsley. <laughs> prominent, yeah, prominent drug dealer who uh, who has some high highs and then some really low lows. So. What, maybe that's what, what is, is is that what you were thinking of, Dan? Or were you thinking of something else? No, that one's about that one. I wasn't. I'm not. I've got to say, Steely Dan's come up a lot this season. I'm not really well versed on their catalog, and so I that one was over my head. That's definitely part of my touchstone because Steely Dan's been one of my favorite bands my whole life, and so even though Charlemagne is a recurring character, and certainly, at least in the context of this song, it's not intended to be a Steely Dan reference my brain automatically when I hear the word Charlemagne musically goes straight to that song. And as Sean said, you know, it is very specifically just like Charlemagne's got something in his sweatpants. Well, that the 13 year old brain in me laughs at that when I hear it thinking, you know, for the single entendre, but it's really a drug reference, right? He's, he's holding, but the title right. and kid Charlemagne is about Owsley Bear Stanley, who was the Grateful Dead sound man who, also was like the first known private individual who mass produced LSD. So there is kind of a, an overlap there from the drug perspective as well. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine Craig Finn wouldn't have known that. Like he's, he references directly a Bruce Springsteen line from the seventies. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that he had, he had to have had that in mind. His, his re referential universe is pretty wide. He, he definitely would have done that. So yeah. And the yeah. Springsteen line, I'm glad you mentioned that because more than anything else, that was immediately what drew me to this song. That, that is the best lyric. One of the best lyrics I've ever heard in my life. I just love the fact that first off, you know, you hear people, critics or whatnot, they throw Springsteen around when kind of describing the whole study here and there, but just that tangible connection. It's almost like Craig heard those, you know, references and said, okay, I can work a little Springsteen reference in here. And it's just perfectly done. Chef's kiss. Right. So what do we think is going on in this song? Do we want to do we want to parse do we want to close read and parse the parse the narrative or is that unnecessary or do, or do, do we want to talk about the musicality? I think Sean, I think you're better at this stuff than I am certainly. I'll just say in terms of we talk about function a lot. It is sort of as you said, it's where the spotlight turns on to Charlemagne. We see him in the streets. And honestly, I get lost between Charlemagne and Gideon, I get lost who is the really bad character and who is sort of the innocent character that got kind of caught up in the game. But um, right. yeah, I mean, so I, I don't have a much deeper reference than Charlotte. We, we see Charlemagne on the streets. He's running numbers. He's he's pimping. He's in the, as we've said, the alley, the muck and hallelujah is drifting into the scene. But in terms of more plot or anything. I defer back to you guys. I mean, I think it's it's worth I guess it's worth getting into because going back to what you said, Sean, about Cat on the Creeping Things, in terms of advancing the narrative, that feels like that has to be part of the effort here. Bob, any thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, the lyrics obviously there's again, that's where I found a lot of what I really like about this song and especially some of those musical touch points and even, even the intro, like the organ intro, when I hear that, if this comes mm -hmm. up on shuffle on my iPhone, I automatically start thinking dearly beloved. It's almost like let's go crazy right. Prince. Who's also from Minneapolis. Right. So again, not necessarily intentional, but just the way my brain works, I make that connection from the get go. 
And, you know, there's a lot of other direct musical references, you know, been caught stealing Jane's addiction. Again, for right. me, one of my favorite bands earlier on dancing on the ceiling, uh, Lionel Richie, which, you know, I love the Commodores, not so much solo Lionel, but there's a lot of these musical references and that they're very specific to me, even the way at, toward the end of the song, you hear that Weiro cowbell combo. And it reminds me of like the band war and, and the song summer, you know, there's, so yeah. there's, there's all these, it's almost like my own personal kind of greatest hits all rolled into one song. I hear all of these references, but beside from the music, even, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic. I, gosh, I haven't been a mass in years and years, but the thing about hearing the letter CCD, right? So those three letters hit me right between the eyes, almost like a marking of ashes. Like it's just, there's nothing more Catholic in my memory than hearing those letters CCD, right? So it's just, there's so many things here that just are very fond reminiscent of, of my younger days. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about how the references on Almost Killed Me almost exclusively came from the 70s, like the pop culture references, and how most, if, if not all, of the references, musical references, and other references, and pop culture references on Separation Sunday come from the 80s. But of course, here we have a bit of a mashup, and, and you go, okay, so what, why is this sort of changing tack? Well, of course, it's changing tack because the way Craig Finn's mind works, but it's also, I think, because what he's suggesting with this character of Charlemagne is that sort of slimy drug dealer guy who basically came in that wave of, of drug culture right after the summer of love. It started with Altamont, right? <laughs> this is when dr drugs hit big and they hit the West Coast, they hit the East Coast. And that wave sort of crusted in the late 80s when people were going, hey, maybe doing a lot of coke or smoking its offshoot crack isn't all that cool of a thing. Maybe we should stop doing that or tamp that down. And of course, you know, it, 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 they're not saying there, there weren't drug problems in the 90s and since, but it was during that era that we didn't really understand as a culture what was the, the damage that people like Charlemagne were doing to the scene, to young kids, to youth culture, to music. So I, I love the way that Charlemagne, even the title, Charlemagne in Sweatpants, you know this guy. You've been to shows, you've seen this guy, you know he's, you know he's menacing, as, as Bob said, you know... He has evil intentions and you know he's there. To, so I, I, I guess that, that's sort of where my tech is always to, to look at text. I'm, I'm, I'm text obsessed, as, as Dan can tell you. And so I, when I see these words, I go, yeah, I know this guy. I know what's going to happen. And the, the organ and the opening sort of slimy notes fulfill that for me. Sean, you mentioned the sort of narrative analysis. Where does this fit in for you in the story then? How do you think about this, the story? This, this, is, this, is, this is Holly's downfall. This is where, she, you know, in order for her to be resurrected, she has to fall. And this is where she falls and falls bad. She gets in with this guy. She's on the scene to, trying to be part of it. And Charlemagne, you know, sees her for the prey that she clearly is. And because of that, there's either a so, so people talk about I, I know that like we we, we reference genius.com and people talk how Charlemagne might be a quasi pimpish that he might be there might be sort of a transactional thing going on drugs for sex of course Holly doesn't view Holly views you know sees the world through love not 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 through sex but this is where this is where she gets tempted this is if we're, if we're going to st stick with biblical narratives this is her this this begins her her days and nights in the desert her 40 days and 40 nights in the desert this is satan appearing on the horizon to to tempt her and 
and she succumbs at least momentarily. So I think this is where we see her sort of take that these initial steps that are sort of put her on, on this downward narrative arc until until the final songs of the album. I think the one line that's really telling related to Holly and what you were talking about there, Sean, is she don't need it, but she likes it. And that kind of speaks back to what you were talking about, where drug use had really started transitioning more from recreational to serious dependency, uh, just in general. And people, you know, that's very much a, a line of denial, right? You know, I don't, I don't need it. I can stop whenever I want, right? And it's just, she's almost trying to convince herself and tell herself, you know, she didn't need it, but she likes it. Right, right. Well, and also coming right, that line comes right after she's not enslaved, but she's enthralled. And that to me sounds very biblical in language. I don't know, you guys may know better in terms of whether we speak about whether Christians or Catholics speak about their faith as in not quite that language, but it it resonates to me as something you might say, my devotion to a church or something. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, for sure. And the musical touchstones that you brought up earlier, Bob, the CCD, first of all, whether it's the cowbell, whether it's the slimy stuff, but this also echoes for me a little bit. I'm not a huge CCR guy, but there's a little bit of like a slow down Creedence Clearwater revival sound here as well. And so it's swampy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not the bayou, but like, you know, (laughs) it's rough. And so. And that, yeah, the organ. Like in the in the urban sense, almost like the sewer, right? That would be this the swamps of the uh, urban area. Well, right. And CCR is what they're from, like Oakland or something. So it's not like they were right. the Bay Area. Home. Where again, Owsley and, and the Grateful Dead <laughs> were from. So it's, mm-hmm. it kind of ties back to that, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's. I think there is something. The the bass playing here is really good, Galen. Especially towards the end, he starts to kind of. As they strip away the sound, he kind of comes up in the mix a little bit. I think is really strong. That's one of my favorite parts of the song because, and the drums too, just the the sound. I think this is a really well produced, the whole album is well produced, but I think this track in particular, you you can literally hear every note of every instrument. It's just really well produced. Right. I do wonder about the cowbell though. I wonder if maybe that's part of my... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> frustration here is that it's like for all the jokes about needing more cowbell like maybe the cowbell is what makes me be like all right this song's not as serious or whatever like maybe that's that's what's like throwing me off a little bit because it's just kind of you know you see will ferrell in that famous skit or whatever but i'm not sure i really the the end the thing i love about the end not only the music but just that end line and just the isolation of Craig just Jesus Christ and all his glory just ends right there I mean I just think that's so perfect it's it's our it's even hard for me to really enunciate why I like it so much but just the whole song it just kind of winds down and then all you have there you know like I said you've got the get the weirdo you've got the cowbell and then at at one point it just kind of strips down to just the drum beat that driving drum beat and the and the uh, bass and then that's just Craig just saying that, you know, in Jesus Christ and all his glory. And then it just kind of ends. Yeah, I can't really speak to the musicality because that's not my forte. But I think that there's a the, the thing that compels me most about that final verse is the narrative voice sort of breaking the fourth wall. Right. 
how do you want me to tell it? You want me to tell it like it's boy meets girl and the rest is history? Or do you want me to, or, or do you want it like a murder mystery? These are two spectrums, right? There's it's <laughs> romance or evil, right? <laughs> He's the, the narrator saying there's no middle ground. I find that weirdly compelling, I guess, because it's almost as if the narrator is saying this is black and white. So I, 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 find, I find that interesting as well. Uh, as you as you talk about how you know Craig Finn's voice is sort of isolated in that last line, yeah. Well, and it's also I mean, and we had all these echoes from Cat on Creeping Thing or whatever else, but Boy Meets Girl, Adam and Eve, Murder Mystery, Cain and Abel wasn't exactly a mystery, but we've got a murder story there, and then Comeback Story is obviously foretelling resurrections, whether they be Hollies or Jesuses, and so. You don't have to dig very deep to make those ties to Craig's lyrics and to the biblical stuff. And so that's obviously driving the song. To me, I also almost hear kind of an Elmore Leonard type vibe to the lyrics. It's almost like right. there's kind of a mini novelization going on here. All right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I think that like Dan, you mentioned earlier, you get confused about whether Charlemagne or Gideon, right? And who's the, I think this is actually like, if I had to locate where Gideon is, I think Gideon's telling the story that he saw Holly go off with this guy, Charlemagne. <laughs> it's funny, you, you, you just said Elmore Leonard. And of course, one of their touchstone cities is Ybor City in Florida, in Tampa, <laughs> just outside Tampa, Florida. So it does have an Elmore Leonard dust thing. It's almost as if we're as someone in an Elmore Leonard novel is narrating the scene in which this this vulnerable young woman goes off with this guy who obviously has ill intent, uh, which which could be the plot of a lot of Elmore Leonard Wait, novels, right? But does Elmore Leonard actually have an Ebor City connection, or are you just <laughs> like, is there a tie between the two, Sean? Uh, no, but I mean, some of his novels are set in Florida. Oh, uh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ebor yeah. City definitely could certainly be a viable candidate to be a setting for an Elmore Leonard novel. No doubt right, about right. it. Right, okay. right. Okay, right. No, I, I just was, I felt like I did all my research on Ebor City last season. And if I missed that connection, <laughs> I would have been mad at myself. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I think it's, I think it, it felt to me skippable. I get that. I guess it I can see the purpose it serves because it is first. It's funny to me how almost killed me is a 10 track album. This one is an 11 track album and there's a somewhat similar in terms of the first three songs, really strong. The fourth song is kind of good song. And we, and Sean, you imbued a lot of meaning to it last week when we talked, but it's uh, to me, it doesn't stand out quite on the level as the first three. And then the fifth song is sort of a change up. And on the first album, that is certain songs, which is sort of a ballad. I enjoy it, but it's you know slower, Billy Joelish. Here we have this, uh, what you know, Rolling Stones, or you want to call it the Stooges, or whatever. This sort of grinding, slimy, slinky song. And then I assume I don't have the vinyl version. I assume that then side two picks up on Stevie Nicks, which is such a strong and sort of vibrant opening and so i think you can make the case for it within the album it's interesting though because bob you're making the case that even on shuffle when that organ sounds and you're like you get amped up for it and so i think that yeah i guess i'm saying that i'm open to the song even if it's not my standout well i i like the point you make i don't have it on vinyl yet um I, i'm just starting to rebuild the vinyl collection but i it would make perfect sense to have this be the last track of 
aside because of the way the song ends, you know, it just seems like a perfect way to transition into the other half of the album. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's a, it's, it's, it's my, my, my tendency to read things biblically, not because I'm religious, but because I think that Craig Finn consciously does this. If this is Eve accepting the apple from the snake, which is, I think the dynamic that's at play in this song, then that means that we're in the fall and now we have to be, we're into heavy new Testament area on side two where she, she is redeemed, uh, where Holly is redeemed in our eyes. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I never made the Adam Eve connection, but that really does seem to be very apt in this case. I think that's an excellent observation. Yeah. She goes looking for knowledge and she finds it. She finds it in the form of a, a drug dealer with something in a sweatpants. So yeah. I can just confirm from some hooking up on discogs.com that indeed this is the end of side one. And then Stevie next kicks, kicks out. So I get a thumbs up for that. Charlemagne's the snake and uh, the apple's an eight ball, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we could basically just, just call side one and side two old Testament, new Testament if we wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we at closing nuggets time or, or any other? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it, we, we, do we call them closing nuggets? Is that what we call them? You we call keep... them we, we've changed. <laughs> we've gone closing. We've gone golden. We've gone. I don't know. Yeah. Or nuggets yeah. of some sort. Um, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's closing nuggets time. Or maybe for this episode, they'd be sweatpant remnant. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, any pieces of lint you've collected right. in your sweatpants. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. Yeah. Any sort of closing nuggets from either of you, whoever wants to tee off first, go ahead. Go ahead, Daniel. I'm, I'm interested to see if you've had any improvement in terms of your perspective on this song from when we started the episode. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's, it's always good to hear somebody's enthusiasm. I think you can, what the whole study does generally, both musically and lyrically, and that's what we talked about, the big difference between this album and Almost Kill Me is that the music is really sort of at that level too, is they, if once you go looking, you can probably find something. And I mean, we can, I'm, I'm not sure how deep I'm, I am with this, but if you're talking about things that are embedded in the lyrics, we have Casanova showing up, famously shows up on Dylan's Desolation Row. We have Hallelujah taking something that makes her feel tall and makes her feel small, which if we're talking the Bay Area, we're talking Jefferson Airplane, White Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. And then the murder mystery, I mentioned that this sounds to me a little bit Velvet underground a little bit of a sort of, it's not, it's not so far from their track on white light white heat the gift where john kale is off reading a story and meanwhile they're playing this jam that's instrumental on the other channel and so that's the whole song that's a little bit of what's going on here but murder mystery is also a track on their self-titled album where they're reading in different ears and it's sort of experimental and so yeah there's there's something that you can you can see that it's intelligent right you can see that there's something and so I think maybe where I come down is it's maybe not a standout for me, but it does serve a purpose. And, you know, I do like, I do like the comeback story who doesn't like a good comeback story. And so, <laughs> yeah, I don't, so I guess there's just pulling a few things, few pieces out of the lyrics that you can always pull more out of it. If you're looking in a hold steady song. Definitely. You know, I've always loved the song. Like I, like I said, it's, it's definitely my favorite in the 
catalog for a lot of reasons. And, and of course, the Springsteen lyric was kind of really the first hook, but it's just, it's always, it's never really wavered. I mean, I've, anytime the song comes on, like he said, like Daniel said, you know, I get excited hearing the organ, even though I still always have that misfire of Prince initially. And I've never gone back and compared the actual tone of those organs to see if they sound the same, but. Normally, we'd leave a question like whether the organ sounds on Let's Go Crazy and Charlemagne and Sweatpants are the same, lie. Because it's open to the listener's speculation if they want to dig in. But what the hell, let's break it down. First, here's Charlemagne's organ. It sounds to me like each chord is held before half notes, with the strength of the tone fluctuating each bar. The second and fourth notes are a third above the first and third notes. Now, here's Let's Go Crazy. The organ sound is a little tinier, the mini fluctuations in the sound smaller than Charlemagne's. The first note is held for what seems to me to be three bars or 12 quarter notes, though it might be 12 half notes and six bars. The second note is a third higher, but then the organ plays more notes than on the Charlemagne intro. It's moving a lot faster. So the connection? Let's play them together first, starting at the same time. Almost a fit, but it sounds like different sounds, and like Charlemagne is a third higher. So let's line them up and see if we can get that unison going. And there you have it. Bob has full grounds for making the comparison. Does this mean anything? We talked about the band drawing on Prince's influences last season, and Prince may seem less obvious as a hold steady touchstone compared to 70s rock and rollers or 80s Minneapolis punk and hardcore. Nevertheless, he is one of the giants of rock and roll and popular music. So perhaps no surprise that his sound oozes through the hold steady from their first record through to their seventh, where Confusion in the Marketplace cops Purple Rain's chord progression. All right, back to the show. I I just think it's, there's just, I never get tired of it. I never get tired of this song. I never get tired of this album. It's also my favorite Hold Steady album. And same, um, same. There's just, I don't know that there's really a weak moment on this on the entire album i i love the whole thing and it's it's interesting because when when you first mentioned i think it was in season one what somebody had kind of talked about you know the weak tracks or weak moments in the album and i think daniel you kind of alluded to that earlier and that was and i kind of immediately sent something to him on twitter i'm like oh my god no that's my favorite song but i the music uh the message board i used to be on that was focused on indie music and i had a lot of friends on there who were also hold steady fans they tended more to skew toward Daniel than me. I, I felt like I was always been kind of on an Island with this song. So mm-hmm. it's nice to know some people at least understand a little bit of my appreciation for it. Yeah. I, I agree with much of what you said. I think that, that, that this song functions a lot like the way cattle and the creeping things does in that it's, it's a part if, you know, if we're viewing as I do this album as a concept album, it's an, it's an, it's an integral narrative part of this album where we introduce the agent of chaos, the agent of evil, who's going to 
caused this downfall that is redeemed, a character who is redeemed, and an album that is redeemed by the end. A, a couple things to a couple of, which I guess, which also makes me say that this song wouldn't be on the list of songs I would use to introduce a novice to the Hold Steady in the same way the cattle and the creeping things wouldn't be there as well. But I mean, it's, and unlike my cavils for, for, for cattle and the creeping things, this song is really, really singularly focused. And of course, you know, the focus is in the title, Charlemagne and his sweatpants. So I think that, that because of that, I don't bump up against it as much as I did cattle because there isn't as much going on. It's, it's, and I don't mean that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a focused song on this, this narrative element that's, that's important in, in, in the story arc that we're going to experience. I also want to, want to mention in the penultimate verse, the, the lyrics go, we did the Bencott stealing into dancing in the ceiling and, and, and you're damn right we danced. Remember that damn right is a phrase that Holly is, is not only proud of, she has emblazoned on, on her body. Damn, damn right I'll rise again. So you can almost hear Holly saying, defending her choice to hang out with Charlemagne to Gideon yeah, you're damn right we dance because that's what I do. I'm Holly. I, you know, I damn right I do whatever the hell I want. So uh, I think that's an interesting choice there. And also, I mean, you know, and I, I mentioned this earlier, so I don't want to, I don't want to beat this up too much. And you guys have sort of alluded to this as well. It's a, it's a catalog of dichotomies, right? It's not like she's enslaved. It's more like she's enthralled. First, it makes her feel tall. Then it makes her feel small. Do you want me to tell it like it's boy meets girl and the rest is history? Or do you want me to tell it, tell it like a murder mystery? The, the song is constantly setting up these two different dichotomies. There's no gray area in this song until the narrator says, I think I'm going to tell it like a comeback story, which is an allusion to the narrative arc the rest of this album is going to take. So I, I think- Resurrection. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, I think those, those, those uh, lyrical elements are interesting. Black and white, black and white, black and white, black and white. No, there's a middle ground. There's a middle way. That's that's kind of my golden, one of my golden nuggets there. I, you're the damn right focus prompt me. That verse it has a couple things in it in terms of beyond the damn right you'll rise again. There's it reminds me of the dancing scene. I think it's in it's either Barfruit Blues or Hostile Mass. The her dancing made the record skip is sort of where remembering that dancing is not always a smooth thing. The we did the bin cot stealing into the dancing on the ceiling. There's a lifter puller song that goes right into the Stephanie says, and they do a similar sort of throwing out two or three songs. We I, I can't remember them all. I'll There's something that's really cute about that. So that also I wanted to just throw out in representation of Mike's not here. I remember the one time I told the first time I told him, I was like, eh, not crazy about the song. He called out tramps like us. We like tramps. He's a big fan of <laughs> that line. And I How wanted you not love that line. No, it's yeah. great. It's, it's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Bob remind, did you listen to almost kill me before you got to this? Cause I remember you said you, you said you like heard about the band from a band member, right? From gallon. I think, well, what, what happened was I, the message board I was on, we used to send each other mix CDs. And one of the CDs I got from a friend had the swish on it. And this was right about the time almost killed me came out. So this would have been 2004, I think. And I was for work happened to be up in the Northeast. And I was on my way to New York City to meet up with some other friends from that board. And we met at this kind of small dive bar that was called Hi-Fi. And they 
it was one of the first MP3 jukeboxes that there, there were. So that was kind of the draw to the place. But the guy that was bartending said, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm in this band, you know, we were just talking about music and he says, yeah, I'm in this, in the whole study. And I only had heard the song. So I only knew the name. I hadn't heard the whole album yet at that point. I think I was actually listening to that CD as I was driving down there from wherever I was in Boston or wherever it was. And so I recognized the name of the band, but I wasn't ingrained enough to really drill him. Like, what's your name? What do you play? That sort of thing. So that's haunted me ever since. Like, who was that? Clearly it wasn't Craig or probably not Tad, but it wasn't Franz obviously either. Cause you know, Franz definitely has a distinct look. I would remember that. Right. I just remember the guy who was probably kind of tall. So I don't know. And they certainly weren't, known enough for somebody to be, you know, lying about it, it would have, it would have certainly had to have been, you know, the whole, nobody knew about the whole study at that point. So it's not like bragging or anything. So I just, it's just a really weird memory I have of that time, but I did, that was the first, I did hear almost killed me before been very chronological, but I've been with them from day one. I feel like Galen is the guy who's the, who has worked in the bar. I feel like there's stories because I think there's a story about Craig's writing of who you came to dance with uh the bonus track for almost kill me yeah. was like gallon was the one who told him that like you gotta come to the you gotta dance with who you came with and so i feel like right. that's the but yeah i was just i was curious if you had <laughs> listened to just in terms of loving i think separation sunday you know we don't have to make final statements where but it is it does it's hard to not look at it as a better out i like almost killed me a lot but Separation Sunday, yeah. And that that's what makes this song so interesting is it's it's not the more polished direction that they are on a lot of the album. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's Bob mentioned Franz's unique look, and that reminds me of something that, that Franz posted on Twitter when Don Rickles died. That that <laughs> the band the, the, they were they were on I forget what it was, the Tonight Show or the Late Show, probably the late show. And Rickles was was a, was also a guest, and so the band collectively walks up to Don and says, "Don, we're so glad to meet you. We're in great great hands." And they look at the band. He looks at the band and he looks at Franz. And of course, if Franz is wearing his newsboy cap and his his uh, mustache, he looks at the rest of the band. He says, "You brought the cab driver." <laughs> I always thought it was a funny story. So we've we've come to the end of season two, episode five. Thank you again, Bob, for joining us. We yeah, Bob, really, really great. enjoyed your in. Yes, seriously, your your input and your knowledge and your passion for for this album and this band. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, and again, anytime you want to come back on, please, by all means, reach out to us and let us know. So next week it's Stevie Nicks, side two, New Testament, track six. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you all then. Thank you so much for listening to A Positive Jam. Thanks especially to Bob Bland for joining us. Find him on Twitter at at BendScoop or at LukewarmTallboy. Bob is involved with about 50 podcasts. Lots of good stuff, so check him out. All song rights for songs on this episode belong to the artist. We love Prince, so his estate, please be kind. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on social media. Bug us at, at Daniel Shortman, at Sean Westfall, and at M. Brooks Taylor on Twitter. Email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. Mike is back next week, and we have another special guest for a four-person episode on Stevie Nicks. 
a key track on Separation Sunday, and in the Hold Steady's library. So stay tuned. I'm gonna tell her I could come back 